Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 93. Dividend Growth Investing with Alex from Lithuania. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. Today we're going to discuss with Alex Dividend Growth Investing from a Lithuanian perspective. All that and more. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJ. How are you this Sunday afternoon? Sunday evening, uh, Derek. I'm I'm fine. Thank you for asking. It was a busy weekend. Uh, as some people might have seen, I was a bit also busy on YouTube. I analyzed ASML because uh, it was the most voted stock on Twitter. Wow. But actually, I'm uh, really happy because we have Alex with us also from the Facebook group. One of the persons, I think, you must have been one of the first members actually on the Facebook group, Alex. I remember you at least from quite some time already ago when we had just few people on there. Yeah, so quite quite exciting. You're our first Facebook guest that we that we have on the show. We love having obviously people from all over Europe and it's it's good. I think we had a guest from Estonia and now we have another one from the Baltic region um, of Lithuania. So quite excited to, to have you on the show. Um, and if, if you could maybe just maybe give us a little brief overview of who you are and, and what you do. Thanks for having me. I mean, this is really exciting for, for me as well to join your podcast. I've been a fan uh, for maybe two years or a year and a half or something like that. Um, and, uh, well, I, I started, I'm quite new to the, the dividend investing journey, as we call it, right? Uh, I only actually started uh, late 2019. Uh, and then imagine COVID hit. Uh, so <laughs> the first the first positions went south uh, pretty quickly in March, but it was kind of exciting, like a supermarket. And uh, I haven't been really investing actively before then. So it was mostly like uh, these mutual type things, uh, mutual fund uh, things where you uh, invest some part of your income and then never look at it again but uh at some point uh two and a half years ago something clicked in a way and if my memory serves me right it was actually ppc ian's video videos that inspired me because uh it it was just a epiphany in a way that okay this is a way that uh, is uh well, definitely not risk-free. There's plenty of risks there, but the effect of seeing this slow income uh, flow and the snowball eventually growing and growing kind of triggered this uh, this new passion in me, and I'm I've been quite passionate about it, and uh, hopefully will continue for as long as I can for decades. Uh, and thank thank you alex and i think many many of us started actually like you in a similar way and specifically also with ian lopuk i mean we had him on the show here uh, last year and it's always jason fieber or ian lopuk 
that really, really inspired many people. And I even wonder if they realize what the multipliers they have been for the for the world uh, dividend growth investment communities. So uh, really funny to hear that also from your side. Uh, and then Ian Lopuk must be doing something well because if he pops up on our YouTube homepage, right, it means that the algorithms are really working in his favor. Well, I think he's like uh, explains this in a really simple way, and the way he makes these kind of blackboard charts and and things like that, and the Excel files. It's uh, and talks a lot, so I really like him. Yeah, he's he's one, he's one of the rare people that can make dividend investing sound fun. <laughs> not many people can do that so i think that that kind of helps but uh, he's, a, he's he's a great guy and inspires a lot of us and i'm glad to hear that he has inspired you so quite looking forward to hearing your journey actually which we'll get into a little bit more on the show but before that we usually talk a little bit about the news and um, what's going on i've been away um for most of the week i haven't actually kept up on anything but one thing that did pop up for me was uh warren buffett i think initiated a position in hbq which is something European DJ did a video on recently. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So he, he started effectively uh, buying a stake in HP Inc. So he bought approximately, what is it? Was it 4% or 4 billion? It'd be 4 billion. I mean, it's a pity. I just don't own so much HP yet. I wished I would have bought more. I bought an initial position. And, you know, I can't buy everything at once. And I also don't want to buy the same stock three months in a row. It's just, I, I don't know, there are so many opportunities. So it's a bit of a pity because suddenly the, the price bumped 15%. And actually the day before I was even looking at it, I think like, hmm, maybe I should should sell put option or something like that at $30. Or, uh, $30. So, you know, it went up, but maybe it comes back again. You know, there's all this recession talk, inflation talk, uh, interest rate hike talk. So, you know, who knows? Maybe in a week from now, it uh, gets back to the original price and it becomes a nice opportunity again. But, you know, in my video, I come to the conclusion that it has effectively a 12% shareholder yield. If you look at both the buybacks and the dividends, I mean, I'll take it. No problem for me at all. It's a boring business, laptops mainly. But I, I don't see them going away at all. I, I heard a rumor that he watched your YouTube video and that's what helped him buy the company. On his Nokia 31, uh, what is it, 10? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And maybe he did. <laughs> yeah, and, and there was uh, so, actually more in the news, right? Because um, when you think about it, I believe that, uh, I mean, let's start with Starbucks. They are suspending their buyback program. Uh, have, you, have you heard about that? Um, for me, no. I, you know my position on Starbucks. I, I don't really keep up to date, but I'm pretty sure it's interesting for most of our listeners. I mean, Alex, have you have you got shares in Starbucks? No, not at this point. But I'm I'm quite interested in uh, in the company as such. And I don't drink Starbucks coffee. I just uh, I just can't imagine paying that much for for coffee. But uh, as a brand, I just see that uh, it has tremendous power and uh, and scale. And of course, you see, okay, they stopped the, the buyback program and uh, the share price tanked. And you immediately see uh, who owns, <laughs> who is the shareholder. So it, it's actually 
quite quite an attractive, I think, company from a dividend growth perspective. Uh, so that's why I'm quite interested in it. Yeah, those same the, here. Those suspending the shares, uh, share buyback program, will that affect your decision in having an interest in them? Not the program itself, probably, because, okay, let, let's face it, it's financial engineering, uh, like most other companies uh, do, but at the same time, it also has an effect on the dividend growth per share, because a company can basically keep the total of dividend amount flat and uh, uh, raise uh, due to the, to the buyback. Uh, but I would say just because the share price has gone down, not just because of the buyback, but in terms of the last, uh, what is it, one year or six months, uh, uh, has gotten much more attractive. So not really the buyback itself. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy with this uh, cancellation of the buyback. Um... I think the company was just going too much in depth. And I know um, there are people on on social media that are saying like, oh, negative equity is not bad and such. In a sense, it's not bad. But you see the interest payments being increasing. You see that the cash flow is not maybe increasing even that much uh, here. You see that there are problems worldwide. There was a pandemic, right, which really uh, had uh, required them to, to close the stores. So there was a cash flow impact as well. Um, so I think it was just not really adding shareholder value, only on the really short term. So I don't know why they were doing this for shareholders. And what you see now is that the, the buybacks get canceled, the share price drops. It is uh, going towards one of the lowest uh, points in the last two years. So what was then the benefit of all these uh, massive buybacks, right? If it was not for the share price. So in my opinion, uh, I'm, I'm happy that Howard Schultz is coming back. I hope he cleans up the mess a little bit and that he indeed invests back into the people, into the business that made this business also a success. And from there, there's better guarantee again on, uh, on how you say it, in, in improving um, fundamentals. And I hope he one day fixes that uh, most of the time the shop is empty at the Starbucks. Maybe they finally get some proper food in there. I don't know, but uh, that will be for me really the uh, uh, the up upside on Starbucks. But what, what what am I missing on this company? Because like, where where does the growth come from from these guys? We're looking at a high inflationary environment at the moment, and the first thing people are going to cut out is buying coffees. I mean, you can't <laughs> the price of coffee in there is, is ridiculous. First of all, compared to I don't know some of the other brands we have. But where do these guys grow? I think it's from uh, opening stores a lot and then also the ticket price. And then what, what I really like about them, they have the Starbucks program. You can They are really innovative when it comes to payments, ordering. Yeah, I, I think the business is, is really, really rock solid. Um, it's just not the same as the stock. And to your point, I don't believe that they will sell less in an inflationary environment or, or, or recession. Because I think Starbucks has still this price point of, let's say, five euro that you can yeah. treat yourself on the Starbucks in a recession. You, you, I think restaurants, not going to the restaurant, at least you can still go to the Starbucks. That's how I look at it. Um, you know, the pandemic has showed us that when the Starbucks are uh, closed, you can't go. But still, people were massively in lines once they uh, opened up again quite quickly, right? So I think there's a lot of stickiness to the brand. And I, I see also that's quite defensive in a, in a recession. Okay. See.
And what about Elon Musk then? I, I, he's he's been in the news again, and he's quite he's quite active on on Twitter about Twitter quite recently. It's so funny, guys, that uh, the announcement came that he took a passive stake, right, nine point something percent, yeah. but he immediately started commenting, and then this uh, all hands meeting with the CEO that uh, has happened or will happen. I'm not sure. So it's it's kind of not really a passive stake. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, it's quite it's quite funny. I mean, he's been talking about Twitter nonstop since he's since he's bought this this position in him. It's uh, I don't know how he does it. I really don't. But he uh, he seems to want to to make an improvement there, or maybe he's just not happy with being banned the whole time and just wants to make sure that he can say what he wants. Well, there, there are some funny things, right? So he wants to introduce an edit button on Twitter. He mentioned that if you pay $3 per month or something like that for this uh, premium feature, you should get such a check mark. Yeah, you shouldn't be wondering about <laughs> Today, he had a poll which 97% answered and uh, positively on that was like, we should turn the Twitter headquarters into a shelter uh, <laughs> because nobody's going to the office anyway. <laughs> Imagine buying a 10% stake in a company because you want to add an edit button to their software. <laughs> yeah. it's crazy that's 2022 it's a it's a meme story for me but okay. well i i think it's time actually to to move over to you alex now and one of the traditional things here that we always do is are the rapid fire questions so what i will be doing now will be asking you five questions you need to choose between the two answers and then afterwards, you have one question and answer that you can reflect on. Um, so are you ready? Yep, let's go. Okay, so the first one for you. Would you prefer to see Lithuania at the World Cup of football or winning the Olympics with basketball? Oh, well, the Olympics with basketball, for sure. Super. High yield, low growth, low yield or high growth? Okay. High yield, low growth. Dobrze. Cepelinia or Saltibarsha? Cepelinia. Reduction in dividend tax or reduction in income tax? Dividend tax. Unilever or Nestle? Well, currently Unilever, that's for sure. Super. Is there any of these questions that you would and answers that you would like to get back on? Well, the question was about uh, the one of the two traditional uh, dishes in Lithuania. Uh, I'm not sure, guys, if you know any any of these. Maybe uh, EMF has heard from. No, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't even know these questions are common, so I had no clue what what they were. <laughs> I, I, I'm interested to hear why you said a reduction in dividend tax over income tax. That that's a good point because uh, a good question actually. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I asked your opinion. Okay, what do you think? Is this sort of tax inefficiency with dividend growth investing? Is it sort of maybe hampering our overall long-term return? So in in all fairness, and, and I'm thinking when I'm answering this question also about this uh, 
pan-European uh, dividend withholding tax uh, to make it simpler. Like if, if you own Nestle that you don't get killed, uh, not, you know, at, at the tax, tax, uh, tax counter uh, or make it easier to, to get the refund uh, eventually and where you don't need to jump through all these, uh, these hoops. So it's, it's not necessarily so much to lower the tax rate because obviously that depends on where you live but uh, i think that's a major issue for us to make european investors to make it easier and harmonized uh, to kind of be treated uh, as a single market you know yeah. as a european single market because everybody all the politicians tend to you know proclaim and say uh, this is the european single market but in reality it's it's still far far from that yeah yeah no i i understand and i completely understand where you're coming from with the tax inefficiencies and affecting your total return it is an ongoing debate here certainly in ireland because property investing would possibly be more tax efficient for me but obviously requires more capital, more risk, and there's a lot more legal requirements and stuff that you that you have to do. But I mean, it just depends on your personal circumstance. But it's um it's certainly hard. It's hard for investors, and you want to make the most money possible, but the risk has to match match that as well. And that's that's why dividend investing is so appealing to me. Yep. Cool. So maybe we get into some questions further, Alex, because um, you mentioned already a little bit about how you got into dividend growth uh, investing. But could you also tell a little bit about, and I believe you don't live in Lithuania at the moment, right? But what is generally the, the culture in, in, in Lithuania when it comes to dividend growth investing? Well, I think it's uh, fair to say that basically doesn't exist uh, and due to the fact that the local stock market it's uh, it's quite small uh, there are okay maybe not a handful more than a handful for sure but there aren't that many companies uh, trading on on the stock exchange and I was for sure looking for companies okay in the, in the local market uh, but okay you get the the utilities which uh, which pay a dividend uh you get one um, uh, closed retailer which is quite a large group uh but it's sort of you could say inconsistent it's it's not really dividend growth investing so the whole stock market culture is still in its uh, infancy uh there yeah. so it will take more time and, and and what do people then typically invest in, for instance, to retire early or to build wealth? Is it in real estate, like having a flat in Vilnius or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that's in in my understanding. That's really how people uh, get ahead. So you can you can meet people that own you know five, ten, or more apartments um, that generate income. Uh, so stock market investing as such uh, there are of course various products that you can buy like mm -hmm. uh, funds that the banks and insurance companies sell that are really you know a terrible idea <laughs> um, yeah but uh, yeah real estate investing for sure oh. it makes it just so much harder right if you're in a small country with a small 
um, stock market because for me, there's a reason why I'm investing in Shell, Unilever, Aholt, because I grew up with those brands around me, right? If we went to the gas station, we, we went to a Shell. If we went for shopping, we went to Albertain. And then it makes it really relatable. It makes it also so much easier to be a dividend investor or even a stock market investor, right? If you if you recognize those brands there. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, the Baltic states were quite uh, quite young as uh, in its uh, you know newest form since 1990, and it will it will take time. But I think we are now fairly well integrated into the whole European market and, and culture and way of living. So I'm quite yeah. quite proud of that, but it's just a thing that takes time. Being, being, being quite young, there must be some opportunities there then, particularly as it's not a big stock market. There's, there must be some companies there that there's lots of opportunities to maybe invest in that some of our listeners might not have heard of. I think, yeah, this the stock market, it's it's really, I would say, so shallow in terms of uh, liquidity that uh, too big a risk. Yeah, too too big a risk, and uh, in a way, like a lot of the former state enterprises, they've been uh, divesting their ownership to the to the general public. Then there's. Uh, the banks, but the banks, okay, the banks are mostly Scandinavian banks uh, these days. There were some, uh, let's say, more uh, local owned banks uh, 10, 15 years ago than there are now. Yeah. So, and it's kind of been, I think what I've been observing is the, the stock market's kind of been shrinking in in the sense of how many companies are, are traded on it. Uh, but there are there are positive stories like this um uh our main uh, electrical utility that's uh again divested it's a part of a state-owned enterprise and they divested a uh, made an ipo uh, and they pay a good dividend but i'm just i'm just looking at that and i was discussing with with a friend but okay where does the growth come from really they buy small stakes and foreign uh, wind farms and and things like that but it's uh i i just want to look elsewhere to be honest okay so so it's it's rare then to have someone from lithuania in a dividend growth investing culture so what is what is your goal with this where, where do you go with with this well i've kind of set set a goal uh, target horizon of uh, 30 years for this so i'm i'm 37 so that's uh, i would say probably extremely long term and who knows what uh, what might happen and my goal is uh, not really to sort of retire early i don't really see myself as not working maybe as you guys have been discussing late maybe working less uh, at some point uh, you know 10 15 20 years from now but i kind of like working being part of, of an organization uh but at some point yeah live live off the dividends and uh, even further down the road just having this as generational wealth uh, to pass to to my children 
and really and and this is very interesting right uh so have you also already experienced experienced let's say changes in your own behavior as soon as the first dividends came in uh definitely definitely so what i can say is and we also talk about this on you know on the community like uh, lifestyle inflation i've been guilty as not being able to withstand the lifestyle inflation uh, so trying just to to grow the income and uh, well manage the the costs of course but uh, i was actually listening uh, I'm not sure if you follow him, Sven Karlin, on on YouTube, and he was talking about frugality on uh, on the episode today. That you can only be so frugal to a certain point. You need to expand your horizon, and that usually costs uh, money to invest in yourself, basically. Uh, so, I guess uh, a lot has changed, definitely. Uh, so now the, even kind of the smallest uh, not the smallest but decisions like okay should you keep the car or get a new one that's like a no-brainer now because you look okay it's how much you use it and how much does it cost no way just uh, <laughs> invest in dividend growth stocks and and such and just th thinking about the return on on your own capital with with anything Right, so you get uh, the part of your income that uh, uh, that you don't spend, and then you start thinking, okay, how do I get the most return on uh, on that capital? And that has changed uh, quite significantly for me. Yeah, and it seems like your view on material things like cars and maybe, I don't know, maybe like fancy clothes that 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 has certainly changed since you've you've started this uh yeah for sure but like i said I, I i am guilty i still you know we get older we say okay life goes on we can't be living uh you know frugally all the time so uh more expensive vacations and uh things like that uh so i, I prefer then to to focus on uh growing the the income rather than yeah uh spending as, as little as possible because it's also you know the family and the kids and they need the education and all that and all the things cost money in this world and memories you have to make memories and you can't do that investing for the future all the time yeah yeah that's for sure you can't live just for 10 20 years from now this is so funny i i, I yesterday bought myself an ice cream of three euro and I was thinking like, wow, I'm living on the edge, lifestyle inflation. <laughs> <laughs> Nestle or Unilever? No, it was homemade there. <laughs> it, was, it was invested back in the local business. But uh, Alex, is your other half um, also supportive to this? Is she with you on the journey? Uh, she is, and uh, she... Um... She's not so much into into the details, you know, but uh, I do like to to talk to to my my wife about, uh, you know, this happened or that happened or how much dividends uh, received the past month or or something like that. Uh, so it's it's also kind of motivating for sure, and even with with the kids. Uh, okay, my my older daughter, she's she's eleven, and I started. Uh, 
maybe less than a year ago, a portfolio for her as well. So my portfolio is a dividend growth portfolio, but I still want to have like a growth portfolio. So her portfolio is the growth portfolio. Yeah, speculate with the wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, still it's not, not a crazy growth portfolio. It's more like value slash growth portfolio because I, I still can't uh, can't think of those crazy multiples like Tesla and things like that. That's just out of my yeah. territory. Very, very um, uh, interesting. And it resonates a lot with me because my kids portfolio is also still, it's more in growth stocks, but still value oriented. Yeah, it's so hard to, to, to buy these uh, shit stocks at a uh, multiple of 120 or 150 and they still have to produce uh, uh, revenue even. Yeah. I, I give my kids full control so they can they can choose who they want, where they want. I, I, if they say they want to buy a ridiculous company, I, I will ask them questions. Why? Are you sure? But ultimately, it's their portfolio. So it's their decisions. And it's quite entertaining. I, I, my son actually asked me to download. I can't. I don't even know the company. It's some growth company. Um, but I have to spend some time going over the financials with them this week. So. I'm, I'm i'm quite impressed actually and fascinated by uh, what you emf, EMF uh, talked uh, how how your son approaches it i mean i quite envy that actually so he, 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 i don't know where he gets the brains from but he's i, I certainly wasn't like that when i was his age but he's quite uh, he's into it he, he likes it um my my youngest has absolutely no interest he's he, he he tells me he's going to play for Liverpool and he's going to have millions, so he doesn't need to invest. Um, so it can go either way, but my, my oldest son, actually, my lo he loves it. Um, ask him what he wants to do when he grows up. He, he just wants to run a business. He wants to own a business. He wants to understand the business. So it's, look, it's 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 what he's into, and I'll just encourage. I don't, I don't want to force my thinking on him because uh, maybe I'm flawed or, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I just want him to learn. And I think that's the most important thing, just to, to learn and make mistakes. And I think it's important to make mistakes, especially when you're young, because you learn more from mistakes. And I don't want I don't want them to be afraid of making mistakes. A lot of investors, and I certainly was for a lot of time, are afraid to make mistakes. Um, and that could be because your investment money you don't want to lose or you need the money. But I just want him to have that ability to think for himself and make mistakes, learn from it and, and be richer than me. So when when I'm retired, he can pay for my home. And is he interested in girls already? Uh, yes, yes. I have to okay. I have to I have to teach him about that as well. They they will spend his money. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, but back to you, Alex. What is your current savings rate then, approximately? Uh, you know, guys, I don't measure it as as such. Uh, probably it's around twenty five thirty percent. So I've been investing only for last uh well two and a half years but i've been doing that quite aggressively yeah especially since uh you know march 2020 uh that's what that's what was quite awesome but too short-lived and and do you invest then monthly or do you do you build up do you build up maybe a war chest and then invest or what's what's your strategy with with that i try to do it uh yeah monthly and even uh I can do, you know, two, three trades per month, depending on 
how much capital I have, uh, because that that tends to vary. Uh, and then obviously I look at what's what's most attractive at the time, what fits the the current allocation gaps that I that I have, where I want to add or or not. So currently it's a little bit difficult because you know Unilever is my top position, but I, I can't be like uh, like you, EDGI. I just I just need to buy more. <laughs> you at 40 and 41 and 42. Yeah. And and do you use a local uh, broker or do you use maybe one of the common ones in Europe? What kind of broker do you use? I use uh, Saxo Bank. Okay. Uh, because, uh, yeah, for, you know, for a Lithuanian-based uh, in investor, it's quite tricky and Actually, when I started, I didn't realize that I could use interactive brokers. Okay. Uh, yeah, and Saxo Bank, it's uh, like the fees are much higher. Uh, the the transaction fees, and then they have these. Uh, what do they call them? Maintenance fees. Yeah, 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 and th those things, and they they keep growing. So I I really need to kind of think about that but for the the growth part of the portfolio i i use uh interactive brokers and okay. also for for options trading as well and is there any any brokers within they don't have to be online but is there any brokers within Lithuania that people could use maybe they don't have access to to european ones well it they could can trade through the the banks yeah. uh, the banks usually have and again those are scandinavian banks so the the online banking is quite quite awesome i would say as generally you know all the online services it's uh, yeah. quite quite advanced uh, but the problem when when i started uh, investing uh, the fees the banks charge were like astronomical they've gone down considerably uh, over the past uh, year uh, or two years but uh, like it was it was crazy yes Even, same yeah, just two years ago it was and and the first trade i did i actually did through through my my you know my local personal bank uh i mean you you can't if you invest like every quarter or once a year sure that's fine yeah but if you do that regularly more than you know once a month no way I, I don't think banks are, are these types of institutions are for I would say small retail investors like us. I mean, they're for they're for people that with loads of money that want to put money up front and and buy lots like Warren Buffett maybe or someone. But for us, you can't look past interactive brokers or uh, Digoero. I think are probably the two best. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Alex. I also have shares at Saxo Bank. I got it because uh, they acquired Bing Bank from the Netherlands and they gave us a service that we could move for free i'm waiting now for five or six months to to get my shares transferred to interactive brokers because otherwise it costs i believe 10 or 25 euro per line item you know i've got like what is it 25 positions there so that will be really costly so i'm still waiting i need to follow up again i've got it in writing that they will do it but they told me they have a really huge backlog i guess half of the clients from bink <laughs> wanted to move out because the the user interface was horrible we were 
really spoiled with the user interface at Bing. They took it out. And even just finding your dividend report is not uh, not so easy at times. So um, that was for me the reason that I wanted to go away. But also the maintenance fees are, I mean, they're really, really not nice. And then eight euro for a transaction plus even more if you do bigger size, 2.75 euro for an option trade, which is like 75 cents at the hero or interactive brokers. I mean, these fees are just killing me. Uh, I want to get rid of it as soon as possible, but I'm just waiting. That's that's actually very uh, quite interesting what you said about the user interface because I find it quite okay for me and much better than interactive brokers. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Interactive brokers is the worst in the world, probably. <laughs> I'm used to the hero or trading 212, and they are just brilliant when you think about it from a user interface, right? It's really like from the tap of your phone. You, you can trade, and specifically the hero has a really nice interview. So, yes, if you compare SaxoBank to interactive brokers, the user interface is probably even a little bit uh, worse than interactive brokers, but at least you don't pay all those costs. And for me, it is easily a few hundred euros per year uh, that I'm paying to Saxo Bank that I can avoid by moving to interactive brokers. We we might switch it up a bit because I know you, I mean, one area we lack maybe on this show is, is emerging markets. We focus a lot on maybe European and, and US companies, but there are other markets out there. And I know you have maybe some positions in emerging markets. So maybe you might talk to us about some maybe benefits or opportunities in, in these types of markets. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, we, we all know and love to invest in European and US-based uh, stocks, but kind of, okay, it's the rest of the world that's uh, that's out there, including China and uh, other developing countries. And actually, one of the my favorite YouTubers, as I mentioned, is Sven Karlin, who is not a dividend growth investor, but he's a value investor. But I quite like his analysis and he's uh, quite focused on uh, on emerging markets uh, the cyclical companies you know materials and and things like that and from him it's uh, quite a lot of uh, you know gems that uh, that he helped uh, uncover uh, so like uh, latin america south america china of course uh, and uh, he he did like uh, Russia for sure up to, uh, you know, the recent e events. It's, I think there's no denying, you know, like that uh, China will be the, the biggest uh, economy in the world and uh, maybe a decade or two after that, it will be India and the, the population there, it's growing still quite fast. The incomes are growing probably even, even faster. So I just think it, it makes sense to look there as well and uh, not put all the eggs into the developed world, so to say. But one, of course, needs to keep in mind, uh, yeah, the risks. So there is usually more value in those uh, those markets, uh, but it does come with uh, with uh, more risk uh, from a certain uh, standpoint. But I, I just think that it's it's really a smart move to uh to look for companies in in other parts of of the world 
and maybe maybe not have them as uh, you know your biggest positions or things like that but just allocate a, a certain portion of of your portfolio and there might not be like uh, you know a dividend growth a dividend aristocrat type culture there but it, the growth itself in those markets might easily compensate for you know any volatility from one year to to another and and uh, it's nice that you mentioned it and you don't actually even need to uh, buy stocks right you can easily buy also an etf and i believe um i will try to put the ticker in the description later because i forgot what the ticker is but the other day when i made um in uh, research about um i said uh, this ucit its uh, etfs that we have available as europeans i actually found a really nice high yield uh, I said uh, ETF focused on dividend growth in, in the Asian market. I believe it paid five or six percent and still had a quite positive track record. And this might actually also be a good idea if if individual stocks investing in dividend growth stocks is not so mature yet in the regions to go for such an ETF in such case. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's also an option uh, from from my perspective. It's it's just quite interesting to analyze these uh, these companies and uh, you know read what other people ha have analyzed not just do it by by yourself um, yeah. there's, there's a there's a guy on twitter i don't know if you follow him he's called uh, the value investor down under and he analyzes one company from the australian stock exchange every week there's a deep dive on twitter it's, it's always quite interesting he's always pinging me with interesting companies from from australia um i just struggle because i don't i don't know these companies and and it, it takes time doesn't it to, to understand what these companies do to understand the markets and the risk and I, honestly at the moment i don't i don't seem to have those times which is why I, I stay away from it but certainly from a returns perspective or if you want to maximize your money it might not suit a different growth strategy but it's there's certainly a market there far there can, can you maybe tell us some companies then that you that you have or maybe that you don't have but are looking at that that are quite interesting sure so for for instance uh, uh in china what i have invested in china uh well there's tencent which is technically a dividend dividend stock and a dividend growth stock but uh, it's quite a low dividend but I still wanted to have it as, you know, one of the big three, big Chinese three, namely Tencent, Alibaba and Baidu into my portfolio, which is strictly uh, dividend growth stocks. Uh, so then also there is uh, China Mobile. So I, I just think, OK, uh, all these uh, big uh, telecom companies in the world, like the AT&T's and Verizon's and uh and and so on uh that just seemed like so much better value and <laughs> you just look at their investor presentation okay how many subscribers do you have oh roughly a billion okay good uh what else uh in the emerging markets uh so i have also i think utilities in uh, in these emerging markets also because okay consumption is is growing uh population is growing and utilities tend to rep represent uh let's say 
more stability and uh, slightly lower risk. Uh, definitely don't go with any banks in, in the emerging markets. Uh, that's a no-go for, for me. So on the utilities side, for example, uh, I have, let me just find it. It's called Copel, which is a Brazilian utility. It's uh, Compania Paranense de Energia which is one of the, the, the states in Brazil, the state of Parana. Uh, there is a utility, uh, electric utility company there. Uh, and another one is a uh, uh, beverage company called Ambev, which is actually partially owned by uh, Anheuser-Busch. Uh, so they, they sell the same beers uh, throughout Latin America uh as what anheuser bush uh sells in uh, the rest of the world uh, but of course they have their own brands and their own approach it's 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 an independent company but they do share some some brands uh also i i have and i had uh, well have still uh, a couple of stocks from from russia one being gazprom and another being uh Fosagro, which is uh, quite a wonderful company that manufactures fertilizers. So they mine and they produce the, the fertilizers uh, and then they sell them throughout the world. But now that's been completely shredded due to the current situation. So that's something that I try to you know, not think of uh, emotionally, but think of rationally that, okay, that was that was the risk. It's an emerging market. Uh, we all knew the, that the, the potential with uh, kind of any Russian escalation could, could happen, especially since uh, the annexation of Crimea. And okay, I, I chose to kind of downplay that risk and uh, I paid the price effectively. Well, you know, uh what can i say are you able to even hit the sell button at the moment or is this just totally not working no no not because no. i i bought i bought shares uh not through the russian stock exchange but the ones that are listed in london and in germany and those were frozen frozen basically since uh well since a month ago or something like that uh so. but you you keep those shares right Yes. Yeah. So, 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 if it come back, I don't know, maybe five years or whenever, in whatever time frame, you you still own those shares. So there's always still a chance that that money is not gone. Yes, there is a chance, but for me, you know, mentally, that's sort of a write-off. Yeah, it's pro probably a good lesson as well in there, and, and good at managing risk, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, just uh, it it was a bit hard to swallow. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I said, three or four weeks ago or five weeks ago when uh, things started happening and uh, and it 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 wasn't frozen at first and it was just kind of extremely volatile. And I just at, at a certain point, I even added more shares because I just couldn't couldn't think that this would go so bad. But on the other end, Buffett always says, like, for me, they can close the stock market for three years and, and you need to invest in businesses that will 
still exist by then. And we can safely assume that Gazprom will at least still exist by then. They just got all the Shell assets, uh, ExxonMobil assets all handed over, right? Uh, true, but you know, uh, we, are, we are not, we are European investors and the whole flow of money, it's just uh, all, almost impossible. <laughs> Europe can pay for, yeah. you know, for oil and gas, but um, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Good. Well, Alex, I think, you know, I think we could talk for another day about uh, all of these kinds of topics. That's what I also like about Dividend Talk. It's kind of pub talk. So th thanks so much for sharing your story. But I think we should go also to some of the listeners' questions because it's not only us who have questions. There are also quite some listeners that have been uh, 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 having interest in, in, in your story. And for instance, the first question is from Tony Kennedy from Facebook. And he is asking like about your views on BASF and specifically also the Russian uh, impact around it. Well, I think BASF, and the, that's reflected in the share price, it's just so many headwinds at the moment. What I pointed out a couple of weeks ago in the, in the community was their, uh, let's say, oil and gas subsidiary called Wintershell DEA, which they were supposed to IPO, but that was uh, postponed or canceled uh, due to COVID or, or something like that. And... Uh, so there will be write-offs there because uh, that company was invested in Nord Stream. Uh, so that's that's dead, uh, at, at, at least, you know, for the foreseeable future. And I don't really see how that will be resurrected. So that's one thing. But okay, write-offs, it's uh, okay. We'll hit the balance sheet somewhat, but they can deal with that. The other thing is uh, the energy cost uh, and inflation of that. So it's it's no surprise that uh, they spend a lot of energy and a lot on energy to kind of generate electricity and steam and also produce all their chemicals. And that's been skyrocketing, obviously, and will probably be elevated for the foreseeable future. And actually, I... I looked into their investor website and there was an investor day uh on the 28th of march i believe and that fully was dedicated uh well not just to energy cost but the whole climate change and energy transition and it just showed that okay there will be so much investment needed to transform their supply chains to you know, replace oil and gas with with electricity, with the the wind and solar, and it's it's probably will will impact their uh, bottom line for for quite some time. But the good thing that I see that, and I think they've been implementing it quite nicely and saying it that okay, the products that are manufactured with uh, you know net zero emissions or close to that they will cost more so they will get more more revenue for that and it was in that presentation where they said that those kind of products will be five to fifteen percent more expensive uh, compared to let's say the the older uh, products so i think they're navigating it quite well and i just think that it's 
quite good value still for long-term investors at the moment. Uh, but for sure, there are so many head headwinds now with the climate, with the conflicts, with the sanctions and all that. Did they um, did they mention anything about? I know they had a couple of joint ventures, didn't they? They had one with um, an electric vehicle company. Uh, I can't remember the name. Shan Shan, I think. And they also had another joint venture with one of the wind companies. Um, I can't remember. Cost Zewid Wind or something. Did did they mention anything about those? Uh, there were some some joint ventures uh, mentioned. The the wind company. Uh, well, there were several actually. Uh, I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly. Fat, Vattenfall. Yes, that's it's that's a, that's the company I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Swedish or Norwegian company. So of course they they need to collaborate with multiple parties and uh, inside Germany even it was mentioned like a collaboration with Henkel, yeah. where they would be. Uh, basically transforming the the whole uh, raw material mix uh, for what Henkel ma manufactures uh, together with them. Uh, but it is a big company, so they have scale, they have sites like uh, in Germany, in Antwerp, in China and elsewhere. Uh, and there the demand will grow and the world will, will continue to develop it's it's just that yeah i guess at, at this point when you think about it the the drop in the share price isn't actually that surprising so i think the so i will also watch this because I can, the quarterly reports are coming up soon right so we will see some of this already getting into it but i'm, I'm also thinking quite logically okay so with the energy prices being uh, uh, impacted by inflation but on, on the other end it's the it's the largest chemical producer in the world. It's not like supply chains have a lot of option to suddenly move away from BASF. So I'm really curious to see how much of this inflation they can just pass on to the customer. I think that BASF has quite a strong position. So I wouldn't be surprised, and that's what I want to see, that they can just pass it on almost one and one. And in that case, uh, BASF might, might be actually still having a strong position. But, you know, BASF is cyclical. So the best time to buy is at the bottom of a recession. But what I always say lately is like, I don't want to buy Bus F at the bottom of a recession. I want to buy Nike at the bottom of a recession. So for me, I would probably wait for a quarterly report and then buy it more for the yield, assuming that, for instance, Bus F would have a strong balance sheet. And I think that's what people need to do their homework on. Can it still pay the dividend over the next five to 10 years, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think... The dividend yield is is attractive enough to to take that chance on them, but it's um certainly a big a big year for them, and I'm I'm interested I, I I'm interested to to watch the investor relations. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm also interested in the annual reports. So it'll be um it'll be good good to see. So the next the next question is from 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 you. You have a question for for us. Sure. So what do you guys think of a buyer's recent share price surge? I, I mean, I personally think that the market may be a little bit more optimistic than than it should, um, and we we tend to see this before earnings. We saw before something it might it might take a, a little run up, and then we will be hit. There'll be more litigation. There'll be something in the report, and will will certainly 
shoot back down. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's news that I've missed or is there something I've missed, but the litigation hasn't gone away. I haven't heard any positive news. So I'm I'm not quite sure why it's 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 going up. Um but we, we will see. We will see in the next the next report. So plus one to that, but I've got one one uh, theory on why it went up because I believe that many we have seen a rotation into the pharma industry. Look at Upfi. I think it's at what is it, 160, 170 dollars now. I bought it at 65 or 70. Look at uh, Bristol Myers. It's trading around 75 now. Uh, a year ago, it was trading at 50 something. I think there's just a giant rotation uh, into pharma. Probably these are like anti-recession stocks because the patients keep on dying and and being in need for uh, medicine. And I think buyer is just part of this rotation. Probably people are massively buying uh, pharma ETFs and then buyer is probably part of it because generally there's no news. Maybe the, the fact that there's no news is also not pushing it down, but we're expecting in two, three months from now a big um, uh, news around uh, court decisions, right? And then we will see whether their plan around Monsanto and the settlements will, uh, will work or not. So that's, I think, why buyer is running up, nothing else. Yeah, it's quite funny you say that. And sometimes when there's no news, investors have short memories and they, they maybe forget. And we see this with, with Intel, don't we, all the time. We, we always know around earnings they're going to drop because investors get too enthusiastic. And, and we know from looking at what they say and their numbers that they're not going to be, they're not going to grow this year, maybe next year, but we're going to have to wait until all the buildings are built and the semiconductor industry sort itself out. So, I think maybe just people have short memories and we, we will see if, if there's good news, if certainly if there's good news in the next one and, and they've resolved a lot of this litigation, this could hit a hundred quite easily. Um, my money is on that. It hasn't, and it will come back down uh, as well around the 50 mark. I think I agree with you, DJI, actually, that uh, it is a defensive sector, right? So mm. correct. Bristol Meyer, Merck, uh, those are the position. Well, J and J has gone up, but not by as much. Uh, but Bristol Meyer and Merck have gone up quite significantly. Yeah, and I think that's the the rotation. Good. Um, Simon has a couple of questions. Uh, one is about Enegas, which he he doesn't own. Uh, the free cash flow has been steadily dropping. And the dividend ratio is fast approaching 100. percent Obviously, many high yielding stocks fall into this, which is which is why they are high yielding. Um, what is, in our experience, best practice in terms of handling this situation? And do you have a ceiling limit on dividend coverage? Um, this question suggests already so much uh, here uh, that uh, Simon feels uncomfortable with owning Anagas. So I would just sell it. If you feel uncomfortable with it, get rid of it. Uh, you shouldn't lie awake from your positions in your portfolio. I mean, I know I own Anagas, and he's right. Um, the, the the fundamentals are slightly deteriorating, but also with Anagas, you need to look also at funds from operations, right? Uh, you need to more look at it as from a utility point of view than purely, let's say, uh, cash flow or earnings. Um, I'm, I, I treat it as a bond. Yeah, I once bought, I think, 100 shares and I don't ever look at it anymore. Uh, once a year, I still feel comfortable with the risk reward. But if someone doesn't feel comfortable with it, they should just sell it. It's, it's not worth it. They have a dividend yield, don't they? I think they've guaranteed a price 
for the next two years, 2024. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know what you know what you're getting with these guys. Obviously, there's regulation pressures and there's there's outside pressures that that exist, but it's never going to take off in share appreciation. It's it's purely a yield play, and that's that's all it is. Purely well, just for generating cash flow. So if you think about the bull case, right, and that's uh, that's where I wanted to actually start looking into Enegas again. I mean, the world wants, uh, Europe wants to shift away from Russia with the pipelines. And then Enegas owns this massive uh, gas terminals in Spain. Yeah, where does the gas come from then? From the Middle East. You put it on a tanker, ship it to Spain and distribute it further. So if Spain also invests more in the connections of gas further into deeper into Italy and, and France, which I think they have already some. Mm -hmm. I mean, logically, I think, you know, if they if we can't get it from Russia, we'll get it from uh, Saudi Arabia and we'll we'll use the Enegas terminal. So it's it's a theory I have in my head. I need to confirm it still. So but I, I believe there is also some bull case here around Enegas. So if any of the listeners has studied this already, please let me know. It saves me time. But uh, this is what, where my head is going towards too when I think about Enegas. Good theory. Um, Simon has a question specific for you, Alex, and that is if you were on a desert island, island uh, what stock would you take if you could only take one? So this might surprise the listeners. Uh, I would pick one of the Canadian banks and I would pick uh, Royal Bank of Canada that's that's what i have in my portfolio just because the dividend history for those uh it's well five banks basically uh it's it's just astonishing okay there might have been some some freezes along along the way but they've been paying dividends some of them since uh, 1830s so it's it's quite astonishing and uh, it's also quite a well-protected market. So uh, there are like these, yeah, four, five, six banks uh, for the entire market. And uh, it's it's quite quite safe, I think. Nice choice. There are only one country where I would agree with banks. <laughs> yeah, we, we had the dividend guy on here um, recently and he's a huge, obviously he's Canadian um, and a huge fan of, of Canadian banks, um, I don't have any Canadian banks, but honestly, I probably should. They, they seem to be the best best run businesses in the world, really. Thank you. So, th so the next question then, and uh, this one goes to you, Derek, uh, from Ron Kingping from Facebook, and he's asking about any thoughts on the previously mentioned ZIM ticker uh, because he has it on his watch list, but can't come up with a fair value strike price. I, I can't come up with a fair value strike price either. Um, I know that the, the dividend yield is, is quite high. Well, I think we said before, it's, it's based on shipping rates at the moment and they're making a shit ton of money because shipping rates are so high. That is cyclical. We're going to see that drop at some point. It's quite a young company as well. It's hard to gauge a history. So I purely bought them from a dividend capture point of view. I have no real interest in following the company or 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 any of that maybe next whenever they have the next dividend if it's going to be 17 dollars again i might try something similar but i would have no clue how to value a company like this no clue good 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 thank you so um then the next question is from centrino and maybe for you alex he is asking about our top three yielding utility stocks and do you own any utilities i believe you 
you used the word utility already a little bit earlier in the in the show. Yeah, actually, one of my uh, first positions was Red Electrica when I basically started without knowing what I was doing. Just okay, reading on on the internet, but it's it's still a position that I have and will continue to have. Uh, also, I have Fortis, which is a Canadian utility. Uh, their utilities is it's kind of similar as with the banks. Uh, they're just like. Uh, dividend aristocrats slash kings uh, over there at least uh, these two or maybe three companies that i know so it's called fortis and uh, the other one was the the brazilian utility that i mentioned uh, copel for short uh, i think i think that's it so i i like the utilities sector as as far as you know stability and slow growth but obviously you won't uh, beat records with that kind of growth. So it's like, um, yeah, like a bond proxy and so, uh, of sorts. Yeah. Super. Thank you, uh, Alex. And then the next question is from Dividend Newbie, and he's thinking of scrapping his current strategy. So looking into undervalued stocks mostly based on other people's recommendations and instead just buying into five to 10 core stock uh, core stock holdings from him, regardless of value until he gets better in analyzing stocks himself. Any, any thoughts uh, about this? My thoughts would be if that's how you feel at the moment, you may be better off in ETFs until you're more comfortable finding your own own strategy um th there's nothing wrong with limiting yourself to five or ten of your core stocks but if you're not confident in analyzing companies why are they your core stocks that that'd be my first question so maybe maybe an etf may be better and uh do some do some reading and research until until you're more confident in your own in, own style uh, i did something similar i was basing it on recommendations of other people and it never works out well because you don't have their convictions or thoughts or if 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 something changes they might not share that um and, and you might yeah. be sitting on a sitting duck so you're, you're better off having your own thoughts and feelings and emotions and getting a handle but yeah it, it, it i would say it's also his own money right yeah. so it will be protected and etfs i would advise as well and he's also asking by the way as a follow-up question if we have any hobbies outside of investing yeah i've i've a few golf football um or, or two of them um, alex how about you alex well football is well it's it's a hobby but unfortunately i don't play i i do love football as as a fan uh but other than investing traveling probably is the next the next yeah. uh, hobby who um who do you like in football uh juventus ah nice team I'm glad you didn't say Man United, otherwise we would have to stop. <laughs> I, I think I think Juventus gave up already the the possibility of a title, right, this season. Isn't it Inter Milan this year? Uh, it's it's been difficult uh, the last couple of years, so it's quite painful. But um, yeah, Good. fan is a fan. Exactly. Quickly then, next question for from Dave Niespecialista, and he's asking. Do you have Inter Rau, uh, ticker GPWIRL, in your portfolio? If yes, what is your future outlook for this stock? 
No, I don't. No. I have no clue what this stock is about. Uh, to be fair, do you have any idea? It's. Uh, I think it's the the elect electric utility in uh, in Russia. Probably. Well, it it is like a state-owned company, uh, like most of the large ones there. Uh, but I haven't I haven't looked into that one at all. Okay, sweet. Um, there's a question from Eslint, which is about BASF. I think we've we've uh, talked a little bit about them already. Um, and the last question is from Dividend Harriard, and he asks you what you think is the best dividend stock from ticker symbol double E, ticker symbol ticker symbol LV, and ticker symbol LT. Derek, those are country uh, codes. I, I had a clue what they were. <laughs> what, what, what countries did they? Oh, Estonia, Lithuania. Yeah, exactly. ah, I did not come know on. that. You, you need to, <laughs> if you like traveling, you should come over one time to one of the Baltic states. Come on, you know, I, I, do your homework. I've never been to Paris. So. <laughs> I was like, I don't know these. I don't know these ticker symbols. Who the fuck are they? Well, honestly, guys, I mean, uh... we'll ask that. We'll have to ask this question again before. <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I haven't looked really into the the Latvian and the the Estonian market, and in Lithuania, there is not that much to choose from. You can choose the 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 biggest uh, uh, electrical utility. Uh, the name now, uh, for some reason I can't can't remember. So I I would just look elsewhere. It's just uh, the stock market in in at least Lithuania is in its infancy. So I think we still need more work to 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 do there before we could say that's the best stock in Lithuania from a dividend perspective. I'm just looking up country codes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, super, Alex. These were all the questions. Um, and, and thank you to everyone who has been submitting the questions as well. Uh, some really interesting uh, uh, were in between there. But this also brings us to the last stage of the podcast. And time is really flying uh, when we're having fun. So, Alex, do you have any stock pick that you would like to, or a suggestion that you would like to uh, leave with us and to the listeners uh, towards the end of this podcast? Yeah, I, I actually want to mention one stock, one company, which I actually don't remember if it was ever mentioned on the show. Uh, it's Mondelez International, and it's a, it's a consumer, consumer staple. Uh, which has lots of brands like Milka, Cadbury, Oreo, Toblerone, and uh, Belvida, and uh, the various cookie brands, and and so on. And what I what I like about this company, okay, it's uh, it's slow and steady growth, uh, slow and steady compounding. There's not uh, like super fast growth or anything like that. Uh, it was actually previously the Kraft Heinz. So uh, the current Kraft Heinz is not really the former Kraft Heinz. They renamed Kraft Heinz into Mondelez International. Uh, but it's just a collection, uh, collection of brands, and they're quite uh, attractive from a dividend growth perspective. So the dividend yield is not, uh, not very high and not very attractive, but they do grow it steadily. Uh, the valuation is also not very 
low but also not very high probably like uh, low 20 pe uh, at the moment or just about uh, 20 but really what what stands out for me it's uh when you go into a big supermarket it's like uh it seems like that's the company that has to me at least the most shelf space because all of these cookies and chocolate bars uh and this and that and they expand innovate and create different different mixtures of all of these brands like oreo ice cream uh, i don't know who makes the ice cream for them or also Toblerone ice cream or these various cookie types and it's just a whole aisle basically not an entire aisle but like so much shelf space uh, that uh, they they have and it's just kind of kind of fascinating it's it's not really a company under the radar for sure they they're big enough but just feels like they're not talked about quite quite as much and i think they have a ceo who's dutch i think that, that might pretty well be <laughs> i have not looked enough into mondelez but i do know that it's um it's one of those uh, slow compounding uh, companies and I like slow compounding because they are hard to kill and to your point yes you're right and tomorrow when I go to the shop I will pay additional attention to it and grab some of those and check if it's indeed Mondela's on the package and maybe I'll have to look into the stock actually now that you mentioned this because I like consumer staples and specifically these kind of ones good pick so Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was very, very interesting for me uh, also to have someone from Eastern Europe uh, on the podcast uh, again, after I believe Dividend Athlete, who is from Estonia and, and a professional football player. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting for me to hear about your journey. And I don't know if it's about you, for you as well, Derek, but it keeps inspiring me to, to hear other yeah, people's stories. Exactly. It's what, it's, it's what Dividend talks about, just members of the community sharing stories and it's look it's how we all learn you've brought a new perspective talking about emerging markets which as i said is something maybe we should focus on a little bit more give it give it some attention um so thank you for that and it's been a pleasure having you on and chatting to you thanks for inviting me and this has been quite uh, quite an experience for me so i i don't keep a public profile with blogs or or podcasts and such so this is a new experience for me and uh, i think it's uh, you know the the passion and when it's about passion you can talk for hours literally which i guess we've kind of been doing <laughs> exactly and and to our listeners if, if you stuck around this long as always we, we sometimes we try to keep it sharp but it's it's not always possible and um, thank you for sticking around and hopefully we will see you all next week <laughs>